Hello, hello, hello. Sammy here from the Gateway team. Just a little bit of housekeeping before we start. I just want to say thank you so much to all the fans of the show who've been with us since the start and welcome to anyone who is newly joining us. We appreciate so much of the love and support that we've received from all of you over the last few seasons. And we'd especially like to thank our patrons who have been kind enough to help us with the podcast. And if you'd like to become a patron of our show, you can head over to www.com patreon.com forward slash gateway to anime. Every little bit helps and it means the absolute world to us. So thank you to all of you who have done and thank you to all of you for listening to the show. If you'd like to get any news of the podcast, you can head over to www.gatewaytoanime.com. And if you want to find us on any social media platform, you can just search gateway to anime and you will find us. Thanks so much. Enjoy the show. Hello, 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 and welcome back to Gateway to Anime. How are y'all? What's going on? Charlie, what's up? Hello, hello, hello. Um, <laughs> oh, wait, that was like such a half-assed impersonation of you. I sort of started saying hello and then forgot where I was and kept on going. <laughs> I realized that's your catchphrase. Hi, I'm Charlie. Welcome back. Um, yeah, I'm good. Uh, nothing really reports other than here we are. Take two of the Samurai episode, which yes, we'll get we, into later. We will explain that. But sitting with us right now is a new guest for this season, for the show in general, Lewis, my person who I play Dungeons and or Dragons with, who is the DM, a very good friend of mine, and someone who is quite funny. And, well, we hope so. And, <laughs> anyway, Lewis, how are you, man? What's up? Welcome. Uh, g'day, g'day, g'day. Oh, oh it's all happening. Uh, it's all happening. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm quite looking forward to this second time around. But also, I should probably show everyone this. Now, those of you who are but listening and not watching, Lewis got me a little gift when he came on this show the first time, and it is a cup, a mug, if you will, which says on it, Undisputed King. And it has, of course, an image of the two leads, Yang Wenli and Reinhard von Longram of Legend of the Galactic Heroes. And the back of it says, hashtag gatekeeper. Not so sure about that part, but it is pretty much the best gift I've ever been given. And automatically sends you right to the top of the guests on this podcast. So, well, credit. Since I didn't get one, it sends you right to the bottom <laughs> of the guests. Hey, there will come a time where you receive a mug. I need to have a catchphrase. And, and you will You're have a catchphrase. Catch phrase. I'll gonna, find a catchphrase. Was well, uh, that hashtag just go at Sam? That's uh, my favorite part. As a, as a longtime listener, first time caller, some of my favorite parts of this podcast is when you just go at Sam. Just come at him with knives out. It's great. It's great fun, I yeah. I love it. I mean, that, yeah, you get plenty of that in real life, Lewis. So <laughs> yeah, just come have a drink with us and you'll, you'll get it all. We're actually very civil on this podcast. It's, uh, too nice. <laughs> it's too nice. I'm camera shy. <laughs> okay, so as I've said, today is about samurai and ninja anime. We thought we'd split the two because, A, not as much samurai anime as you actually think there is, like, and especially for a specific reason because we're deliberately choosing to omit quite possibly the seminal piece of serialized samurai anime that exists. And we'll talk about that quickly before we move on. The reason we're doing a second podcast is because there is a show. And if we didn't mention it, people who know anything about the genre would be like, why didn't you mention pretty much the seminal piece? Well, there is a reason. The show we're talking about is Roroni Kenshin. And that show is, I mean, a huge part of both Charlotte and my anime journey. And it's a very influential piece of manga and anime 
in the industry and particularly in the genre. However, I spent the last podcast, we, we did Roni Kenshin and afterwards we spoke about it. And the fact of the matter is, is that the manga car was found in possession of and then charged with and found guilty of possessing child pornography. And we then were like, this is not cool. This is obviously something that's very problematic. And yes, you could open a big debate about art versus artist and whether you can separate the two. But we just thought, you know what, as an entity and as a group of people, we don't want to promote that. I know I've, I've, I've brought it up. I could have just completely ignored it. But I think that's also something you can't really do in this, well, in this genre. But we're just going to say that it's an amazingly important piece but we are not going to promote it on this podcast, so we will move on. Yeah, yes. I mean, we do a samurai anime. It's like the one, so we have to mention it, but we, we figured why not just mention it as that and then move on. So we're now going to talk about the history, very brief history of both samurai and ninja. So I, again, I'm not going to get too bogged down in this because as always with this podcast, we never wanted to turn into a bunch of white people explaining Asian culture. But as always, we are big fans and this whole show is about people us, who are huge fans of a certain genre and medium that we love, and we want to share that passion with you. And we'll just give you a quick history of these two, because a lot of the history of both ninja and samurai gets rose-tinted glasses applied to it. It's also just such a massive pop cultural thing, not just in Japan, but in the West. I mean, the samurai ninja thing is pretty much, if you don't know anything about Japan, you know those two things. You've seen them, whether you've watched any Japanese art or not, because they are everywhere in Western culture. So I think it's important to talk a little bit about that. And I will give you a short little history of both samurai and ninja, how how different they are. And then we'll talk a little bit about some of the misconceptions and what they actually were, as opposed to what they're portrayed as being. And of course, talk about some shows, which you can watch, which are in these historical context. So history of samurai. Samurai were the hereditary military nobility and officer caste of medieval and early modern Japan from the late 12th century to their abolition in in 1876. They were the well-paid retainers of the daimyo, who were great feudal landowners, and they had high prestige and special privileges, such as wearing two swords and the right to kill anyone who they felt dishonored them the whole thing. So they cultivated the Bushido codes of martial virtues, which are just a few indifference to pain, unflinching loyalty. That's a big one. And they engaged in many local battles between local daimyos. So back before the Tokugawa shogunate, where it all became consolidated under one leader, it was just many feudal lords fighting each other. And the samurai were not only the elite, but the fighters of these wars. So samurai truly emerged during the Kanakawa shogunate, ruling from 1185 to 1333. They became the ruling political class with significant power, but also great responsibility, like killing people on the spot. During the 13th century, the samurai proved themselves as adept warriors against the invading Mongols. But during the peaceful Edo period, which was from 1603 to 1868, they became the stewards and chamberlains of the daimyo estates, gaining managerial experience, and education. In the 1870s, samurai families comprised 5% of the population. And as modern militaries emerged in the late 19th century, the samurai were rendered increasingly obsolete as they were incredibly expensive to maintain compared to the average conscript soldier. And the Meiji Restoration ended their feudal roles entirely. And that was in 1876 was when that finally happened. And their memory and weaponry remains a vital part of Japanese popular culture. So also just a little bit of a history here. I've got a great quote from a historian called H. Paul Varley, who notes a description of Japan given by the Jesuit leader, St. Francis Xavier. There is no nation in the world that fears death less 
Xavier further describes the honour and manners of the people. I fancy that there are no people in the world more punctilious about their honour than the Japanese, for they will not put up with a single insult or even a word spoken in anger. And Xavier spent from 1549 to 1551 trying to convert the Japanese to Christianity. So that's a very brief history of the samurai. Anything else you want to add there, Lewis? I mean, again, like it's interesting because a lot of them see them as purely warriors, but they weren't. They're a class. They're a class, a ruling class of people. Yes, they were warriors, but they were also highly educated and probably the only highly educated people. A lot of them were artists. And when they were eventually rendered obsolete after the Meiji Restoration, a lot of them moved into business and became merchants, which were obviously originally a very low class in feudal Japan. But then, of course, capitalism, they became incredibly prominent. And a lot of the Japanese went to become heads of major corporations when they started to modernize. This is the idea that like... Not necessarily as much coming becoming obsolete, but then transitioning into the modern world. Yes. Because that constant contact with Europe in, in the mid to late 19th century kind of made them realise that they were being left behind and that they were wide open for conquering because they were remaining oh so very traditional and, and frozen. The Edo period being a long, long period of time where samurai went from being these kinds of feared warriors and like, killing machines to really lazy bureaucrats who had to carry swords and got really shirty about the constant responsibility and very little pay. So like, hey, let's modernize. Let's make some money. Let's do this, baby. Yeah, the big thing about them is the loyalty thing. And you see this constantly through Japanese culture, you know, the and how much it was also the Bushido code itself was sort of corrupted during World War II, almost as propaganda to enlist, you know, obviously the Japanese were famously fervent fighters in World War II. And a lot of this comes back to that old samurai thing where it was complete and utter loyalty to your master, your daimyo. And if the daimyo died, they would commit seppuku, which is the sort of ritualized suicide. Uh, again, as we said, as the quote I said before, the honor system was massive. And yeah, it's just a fascinating thing. It's just everywhere, everywhere in culture, you see the samurai in some capacity. And the ronin massive thing, of course, that's, that is the masterless samurai, is a really interesting concept too, because it's kind of like, I mean, guts from berserk in many ways is a modern interpretation of a ronin, masterless samurai. Because again, if you're, if the whole Bushido code is about being entirely beholden to your master, what happens when one doesn't have one? You know, and it's so, so fast. And when you have this incredible skill set of, of being a warrior and a poet and all these things. So that's why the ronin story is so classic and is all through Japanese culture and through a lot of these shows that we'll be talking about. Well, it's the funny thing is like uh, through the excessive amounts of research that I've had time to do since we're doing this for a second time. <laughs> uh, the idea that uh, samurai would then, you know, their master dies, so then they kill themselves. Uh, quite often they were just taken up by a new master. Interesting. So the idea of the the ritual suicide seppuku, harikiri, whatever you want to call it, was more of a rich guy thing. Right. It's more of a, uh, I am going to make this statement because my betters are doing things that I disapprove of. Oh. So I am going to take my important life to make people realise that this thing is happening and I do not like it. Interesting. You're right. That's Sounds bad. The one, that's, that's the 1%, <laughs> right? If yeah. only the 1% did that today. <laughs> I have to pay people a living wage. Well, I know what I'm going to do. <laughs> this will teach them. <laughs> that's interesting. So, I mean, there's obviously a lot of samurai and uh, shows, but like I say, not as many as you kind of think. Very few. Um, very few. Like, In the lot, grand a lot scheme of influence. Things. Through it, of course, you've got like Bleach, heavily influenced by samurai culture and history. Demon Slayer is kind of a samurai show. Like, I reckon it totally is. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it is, but it's it's just a magical kind of shonen 
samurai shows. So yeah, you call it that. But I mean, like deep historical shows, which are like actually historical, not as many as you think. There is, I mean, one of the most famous, which has never been turned into an anime, which everyone wishes it would. One of the most famous manga out there called Vagabond. Vagabond's written by Takehiko Inoue. And it tells a fictionalized story of the life of Musashi Miyamoto, who is quite possibly the most famous samurai of all time. Uh, wrote The Book of Five Rings, which I actually read last year, which was really cool. But Super intense guy, but Vagabond is just a, a fictionalized version of his life, how he became the great warrior, famously never bathed because he uh, was afraid that someone would assassinate him in the bath because he couldn't have his sword near him because it would rust, apparently. Is that right, Lewis? It would yeah, rust. Yeah, well, it's, they're not stainless steel. They have to coat them with a layer of oil to protect them from moisture and rust and all those other fun things that happens to a sword, especially if you would like chip your sword or nick your sword, then that would let you know, rust just seep into it. There you go. It just sounds like an excuse, though. Come <laughs> <laughs> on. It's a filthy vagabond, as, as the name suggests. Fight, right? <laughs> yeah, My no s- one wants to come near you. Everyone's like, oh, <laughs> his secret. Yeah, like. Get away from the stinky kid. He never kid. actually fought once. <laughs> Around the <laughs> twist, right? Yes. Bronson would take his shoes off because he never went to his feet. Right. And defeat his enemies with his stinky feet. <laughs> yeah, I think that was directly inspired by. Um, Versace, this, yeah, yeah I think so. Around the twist. Oh, my God. Yeah, but I mean, you see it everywhere as well. Western culture as well, of course. You've got the Magnificent Seven, which is, of course, you know, Akira Kurosawa obviously made a lot of the most famous samurai movies of all time. Of course, Seven Samurai, which became the Magnificent Seven. Of course, we've got 47 Ronin. 47 Ronin. We've got so many films of that being adapted. And The Last Samurai with Tom Cruise. Uh, yeah, I love the <laughs> bit movie. Of, bit of a whitewashing, but all right, cool. But yeah, I mean, Akira Kurosawa sort of made it very, very famous. Dirty Dozen, Dirty Dozen as well, heavily influenced by Akira Kurosawa and the Japanese samurai films in the sort of 60s, 70s, 80s. Yeah, Cheaper by the Dozen starring Steve Martin. <laughs> Another absolute classic inspired Another by Kurosawa. Another inspiration. <laughs> Was it Steve Duff? Martin? It was Steve Hillary Martin. Duff. Hillary Duff. Old mate from Smallville, whose name I can never remember. Tom Welling. Thank you. In my head forever. She knows. <laughs> more than a bird, more than a plane. Is that, that the theme song of uh, Smallville? Well, well, there's that Fight for Fighting song. Yeah, that's the theme song from Smallville. Is it really? It's not easy. To be- yeah, that is definitely, like, I'm, actually, I was pretending like I didn't know that very quickly. <laughs> is that um, uh, Gateway to Anime Bingo, Sam Sings? That's a- <laughs> yeah. There's one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I guess, Lewis, why don't you tell us a bit about a very famous samurai show, which is. Oh, do I have to? Well, you I like do. how we are like, let's talk about historically accurate things. And the two shows that Lewis and I are going to talk about are like, not really, but kind of are. This like- also. No, because honestly, I, Sam's right. Like when we were looking up, I was like, so easy. There's so many. And I was like looking at the list and I was suddenly just like, yeah, no, there's not actually There's not even a top 20 because they get to 11. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It is the top 11. There are not yeah, so many. It's obviously just not really a thing that people are interested in seeing animated. Like, Well, yeah. It's, I mean, Vagabond is the one, right? And of course, you know. Uh, Kenshin, but like Vagabond has never been done because again, the intricate detail of the artwork, you should check out the manga. It's pretty amazing. But yeah, really it's like there just aren't that many. And a lot of them are, again, influential like Demon Slayer and Bleach and whatnot. Yeah, heaps of influence on but everything. But like not so many purely historical samurai. Animals. There's always like a samurai character. Yeah, always. Like there's in always like in so shows, many things. Like, but it's rare to have one that's like about the kind of historical Period. There's, there are some, obviously, but I remember I was looking up one to talk about and I could only find one that was date um, based on a dating game and it was like, <laughs> I 
and I nearly watched it. Classic. I forgot the name of it, but I nearly, I nearly wrote down and watched it. Apparently it's absolute trash. It's like a girl gets like taken into a samurai house and then have date all the samurai. <laughs> I was like, sick. About to show, is this actually your show? Did yeah, you I wrote it. <laughs> Did I turn into is this fanfic? Is the the fanfic of samurai? <laughs> The, the genre is just samurai <laughs> the whole time. That's no. it. Anyway, I don't know what I'm talking about with samurai stuff because I'm not as well-versed as these guys. But And last week, in fact, the, the show I'm about to talk about, I started talking about it and then Lewis totally schooled me. So I'm going <laughs> to really handball this onto him today. But we'll start with the one that Lewis talked about. Uh, speaking of unflushable turds. Um, hey. I, I, Afro Samurai. Afro Samurai. I really didn't like Afro Samurai. And I actually watched more of it again and uh, still don't don't like it at all. Dystopian future, the, the concept of being like a dystopian future, there are a set of headbands that n- number numerous. If you're number one, you can only be challenged by number two. And if you're number two, anyone can challenge you. And it's the idea of if you get the number one headband, you are godlike in your ability to just murder anyone at right. any time. And it starts with Afro's father being murdered by this dude called Justice. And Justice is the number two and he takes the number one. And then Afro gets the, he goes searching for the number two headband as a boy. It, it's, just, it's, a, it's a tale as old as time. It's revenge. Yeah. It's, but instead of the character starting off, crap and then becoming kind of likable. He starts off as crap and then he stays crap the entire time. Yes. He doesn't learn anything. He doesn't change as a person. He just murders everyone he meets, including people he knew as a child. Oh. Including people who become his surrogate father. There's nothing redeemable about the story of Afro as a samurai. It's just it's not a good story. There's, there are two female characters in it and they are both sex toys. So yeah. that's awesome. Like I love that in my anime. Yeah, like we could painful. just spend a little bit time, a little bit of time thinking like, okay, it looks fantastic. It's really well acted. The sound design's great. RZA from the Wu Tang Clan does a good like portion of the music in That's it. That's cool. And as I was watching it, I'm going, hmm, no music. I'm bored. There's combat. I'm bored. And then the music starts up, and I'm like, oh, it's interesting again. Then the music stops, and I get bored. And then they expose it in the middle of combat. When they could have done it before or after. It's just. That's a classic anime trope and, uh, across the board. Let me explain my entire motive right now. You're like, oh my God. <laughs> even then, you're like, just stab them mid the, <laughs> the expositing happens and you're like, okay, we're going to learn something that's going to make Afro a more redeemable character. Spoilers. He is a bastard who got everyone who's ever been nice to him killed because he wants revenge. He's the bad guy in the story. Right. So an anti-hero. Like, I'm into not that. even an anti-hero, though. Not even an anti-hero. He gets small children murdered oh. because he wants vengeance. He has a choice. Not get the small children murdered and get vengeance or get closer to vengeance that isn't guaranteed or not get them murdered and just give up vengeance. Mm. He chooses get them murdered. Right. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's... Because uh, famously also voiced, of course, by Samuel L. Jackson yes. as Afro. And that's sort of, it was a big... I mean, it's, it's incredibly popular. It's got a real cult following. You know, it's... Um, it, it started off as small bits in a magazine. Then after the success of the show, it was made into two comic books. That's how little content exists. Yeah, it's very small. It's very short, right. isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's an exhibition much. of illustration. Yes. 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 Which, I feel like people, when they talk about Afro Samurai, it's very much the aesthetics and for the Samuel L. Jackson's yeah. voice acting and, like, yeah, and everything. It, like, and, you know, serious star power behind it. Oh, like, yeah. It is a, very rare for the, you know, especially back then. When, when did it come out? 
1998. Yeah. So this is the early, early so, yeah. on. Like, it's very, very rare to have like an anime with such a big Western powerhouse oh, level of like talent behind it. You know what I mean? Like it for, aired later than that though, right? I think it was 2003. Yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry, I just realised I forgot my notes. That's, <laughs> not, that's not that much later actually now I'm thinking about it. It's early for, yeah. for having that. Like and to have Samuel L. Jackson and RZA and whatnot behind an anime. It came out yesterday. Yeah. All the that's voice a big talent. thing for the time it came out. They're all fantastic. Phil Lamar's in it. Phil Lamar, Yuri Lowenthal, John DiMaggio, Ron Perlman, like the list. Yeah, this is a big deal for anime at that point. Fantastic voice actor, fantastic illustration, sound design, all of it's great, but the story isn't there. Yeah. It's it's like a, a, a game you would play on your mobile phone. Yeah, okay. You wouldn't buy it on a console. You wouldn't get it on the Switch. It's a, <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a 90 cent like iTunes game. It's Great for putting on a screen in an internet cafe without sound on because it looks great. But at the end of the day, if you're looking for story, there's no yeah. And just like probably how many episodes is it? Five episodes. It's 152 minutes. It's a mini series. Okay. okay. So it's so not like crazy long. They're not drawing it like that. Yeah. yeah. And obviously, I think if you watched it once a week for five weeks, you might find it a little bit more entertaining. But it's just. To I me, probably would love it, to be honest. There's nothing there. <laughs> there's no character development. And obviously slightly influenced by Yasuki, of course, with the, you know, the the Black Samurai well, so, historical, which there is a show of on Netflix as well, actually. But again, you'd think that'd be a historical story about an actual person named Yasuki who was a black slave who ended up in Japan and became a samurai. Crazy, amazing story. But there's mechs and magic. And again, <laughs> in this Netflix MAPA adaptation, it's just like, why? No one can do... Like a straight historical samurai story, even if it's like, no, everyone's like, plus this, like, you know, like <laughs> yeah, you're plus kind of, magic. it is interesting because it just seems like it is fascinating enough. And the whole world of samurai and history, so cool. is, history is so interesting. So it's just funny that people are like, plus this element, like it's, it's, it's weird, isn't it? Like, yeah. I wonder why. Cause again, you got like Vagabond, you've got, I mean, fuck, there just aren't that many pure historical stories. Again, much more movies like Zatoichi. Great for the blind swordsman. Sick films. A whole bunch of them. Super, super cool. Obviously, Yojimbo, all kinds of Kurosawa films. And Wolf and Cub. Wolf and Cub. There are so many, you just but you can't find them that much in anime. And it's so interesting. Yeah. But let's talk. And also the music, the, the hip hop. That's, that's music a big part of the. Is a big, uh, a huge part of Samurai. Of Samurai yeah, but also a huge part of Segway. Oh, Samurai Champloo. Oh! <laughs> I win. I win the quiz. That's what I'm talking about today. I just want to quickly say on that note, um, yeah. I do wonder if it's an oversaturation of Samurai content in live action in it's Japan. It's a huge bag of worms, too. Like, it's, yeah. it's, there's so much to Samurai culture that is a part of modern romanticism versus what actually happened. Totally. So if you go into that. We're going to have an actual series that's just about samurai. What do what? you get into? Mm. Yeah, because that's... there are periods throughout Japanese culture where samurai were not looked upon fondly. Yeah. Yes, they yes. were looked upon as killers and murderers and ghouls. Well, the the idea that they were murderers and essentially paid killers, and that they the the ruler of the guy who started the the whole unification of Japan was known as the Demon Lord, mm. like the Demon King, the Demon Killer. It's yeah, it's insane. There's been yeah. a massive romanticization from the West as well. Like we, we use so much of it in our storytelling. Big time. And Kurosawa's influence on that. Massive. Star Wars. Kurosawa influenced so many people, most famously, of course, Star Wars. So, yeah, it's, it's just. Sam and I's favorite. Our favorite. Our favorite thing. Series. <laughs> I've heard you guys like really love and know heaps about know Star heaps Wars. I'm really well educated on Star Wars. Oh. I know so much about it. I love how we opted to do an episode and I was like, that was a wild choice. 
I was like, hey, we're learning. You guys this got a, a lightsaber. It's a teaching moment. Yeah. <laughs> Graham and Tom teaching us about something we don't know. We don't know anything about. It was good. I mean, was we great. do. We, okay, anyway. Um, but, yes, so back on things that are very much a twist on a historical yes. take. Uh, I did Samurai Champloo. Samurai Champloo is a story about, it's basically, so it's set in the um, Edo era, which we've just kind of discussed a bit of. Peaceful times. The most important thing about this show that you will kind of remember is it's by Shinjiro Watanabe. So the same creator as Cowboy Bebop. So similar to Cowboy Bebop in a way that they married um, science fiction with Bebop jazz. This one is very much married to hip hop. So it is a samurai era hip hop combination of a show, which is interesting because that is kind of common as it turns out. So this isn't something that is kind of unique uh, yeah, to I mean, the samurai. We're talking Afro right. samurai. Oh, Flying Lotus did the music for Yasuki as well. Which yeah, about so too. it's, it's cool. one of those things where the whole show really leans into that aesthetic though. So it's not only just kind of like a historical drama with some hip-hop music added on. There's like a lot of kind of like graffiti aesthetic or that kind of like it's sort of a... Breakdancing. Yeah, it's a real... Um, They're breakdance fighting. <laughs> it's a real mashup <laughs> of the two styles. I, unlike Afro Samurai, I... This show is like, I love it a lot. It has a huge part in my heart. It's one of the first, one of the first shows I really properly got into after Bebop because I was like, hook it to my veins. And um, (laughs) yeah, it's really cool. So do you want me to get the synopsis quickly? Yeah, you go. No worries. Um, Then I'll handball it to Lewis because he knows heaps more about it, as it turns out. So basically the story follows a waitress at a tea shop called Foo, and she gets into a argument with a customer who is harassing her, who happens to be the son of someone wealthy or important in the village that she lives in. They go to threaten her. She notices a stranger, a mysterious stranger in the corner who is just sitting there ignoring everything happening, but he looks quite strong. She ends up saying, I'll give you a bunch of free food if you help me. And he's like, absolutely. Anyway, so up stands Mugen, who's one of the other main characters and he basically gets into a huge fight with all these people and he's fighting and it's all hectic we'll get into this later those fighting style manages to defeat them but meanwhile outside there is a silent but stoic character called Jean who is very much styled like a traditional samurai he's got the katana on the back of his yeah so he's wearing the the daisho which is the wakasashi and the the katana so yeah. the, the the traditional two sword yeah so as soon as you see him, you're like, all right, here we go. It's going um, business. Yeah. Walks in, mistakes Mugen for being the person who is causing the ruckus and they start fighting and it's this epic battle. Anyway, flash forward, they both get arrested. They're about to be put to death and Fu decides that she really wants to help them out because they saved her. So in a humorous way, which I won't reveal so you can watch the actual episode and I'm not, this is, sets the whole thing up. She saves him. And then they decide to flip a coin because she says, if it comes up heads, if it comes up tails, you uh, we either just leave it here or you can accompany me to the samurai who smells like sunflowers. And the coin lands on the let's accompany her. So then we have this motley gang of three very different characters setting out to find the samurai who smells of sunflowers. And that is the setup of the show. Most important to this show is the characterization. The three of them are all incredibly different. Fu is a great character. It's really nice to have like a very much a female protagonist. Like you're kind of following her story. And the other two, obviously, they end up all being as much protagonists as her. But you're following her journey. Yeah, she's definitely the A like the line through that series is it's her. She's driving them forward. She's keeping them together. Yeah. Mm. And she's stopping them because they're constantly fighting. Yeah. Because they represent complete opposites of what it is to be a warrior or a samurai. When, like, Mugen is rocking Atachi, which is a sword that's, like, 300 years previous relevant 
two samurai. Samurai's main weapon was always spears, but then you get into it and they become the katana during the Edo period because they're not riding around on horseback fighting wars anymore. It's like 200 years of peace. So mm. that's it. But he's he's got his tachi on his back. Jin's got the daisho, which he wears on his on his side, and he's a traditional samurai. He is very much the opposite of that with Mugen. His fighting style, like I said, is like that cold breakdance fighting or kind of capoeira-esque. <laughs> yes. Because at that time they were with coming in with the Dutch and the Portuguese were like West Indies peoples coming in and people coming in from like Brazil. Capoeira started in Brazil. It's, it's not unusual. It wouldn't be unusual that someone might know that a prisoner and or slave and Mugen could have picked it up in his piratey ways. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah, it's not completely like outrageous, you know. It's not like he's beatboxing running around. <laughs> well, <laughs> that does come in later. I mean, there is literally beatboxing <laughs> yeah. in this show. But they've taken it and they've, they've actually just, that there's a reason why I think this is married together because of that because Mugen's fighting style is so cool to watch. Mm. Yes. But, um, yeah, when you're just like very sloppy but very cool and he's got like, what, has he got blades on his shoes? Well, he's, got, he's got like metal plates on the undersides of his sandals yeah. so he can use them to great effect in like blocking swords and also yeah. just, you know, jamming sandals with metal plates in people's faces. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I've I spent a long time since I watched Champloo and like all I really remember is how cool Mugen's fighting style is. And like, well, it's animated really and well. like as, once, as you were saying, like with Watanabe, it's, music is always like the key, the key to his works. You know what I mean? Like it's not Yoko Kano this time though, is it? No. No, no, no. No, it's a bunch of, um, it's a bunch of, a bunch of hip-hop artists. There's one, uh, the main one is called New Jobs, uh, N-U-J-A-B-S. You should look up so good. Mm. Really enjoy studying to it. But um, right on. It's just like really good, like kind of lo-fi hip-hop kind of. Yeah. yeah. It's intrusive into yeah. it. Like if you're not sitting there specifically listening for it, it just kind of perfectly blends into the action of the show mm. as, as a great partner to it. When you look at like Afro Samurai as an example, where you miss it when it's not there. Yes. And the piece is completely lifted when it's there. With Shampoo, it's it's just a beautiful partner. It just it just comes yeah. in and it flows fantastically. Yeah. It's symbiotic, isn't it? Yeah. That, it's, it's, that's that's how Wantanabe works. He mm. makes the music tell the story and it's it, it intertwines and which is why he's such a fascinating artist, you know. Um it's and yeah. It, it it tells fantastic stories. It touches on lots of topics as well. You've got people who are being who are being exploited because of their physical deformities and disabilities you've got they touch on like female versus male relationships and gender roles they touch on people who are uh, homosexual and 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 their roles within society and how they're looked upon negatively or positively it touches on a lot of really serious stuff but also has a lot of fun. Yeah, well, I think it's just Watanabe is, he experiments with his shows and sometimes he just throws out random episodes, uh, you know, like, which is cool. It's cool. It's, yeah, I mean, I again, a classic kind of, not historical per se, none of these people were real, but heavily influenced by the historical context of Samurai. And of course, another big one is, is uh, Gintama. Obviously, Gintama heavily based in the Samurai world, but it's also a sci-fi and a comedy and a wild madhouse of things. It's, it's just a, literally a parody of all anime at all times, but it is very, he is a samurai. Like yeah, that's Kentucky the, is the last samurai. That's like the whole thing of that show. But again, that show is just a complete piss take. Tom Cruise? <laughs> it's actually, yeah, actually Tom Cruise plays Kentucky, <laughs> Kentucky. in the live action. <laughs> 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 Put it past him. But yeah, no, so I mean, those are two different style shows, which are, I mean, Champloo, huge ticks, huge ticks. Afro Samurai? No, not so much. Again, more a style thing, and more and very important. Like I say, like you know, it's, when you when you track back, and because again, you go back into the '90s and whatnot, and this is early 2000s as well, isn't it? 
um, Champloo. Yeah, 2004. So like this is the early days of manga and anime coming into Western consciousness, you know, and these were huge parts of it. Again, like the star power of Samuel L. Jackson, all these things, things that just hadn't really been done before. Like obviously people had seen Neon Genesis, they'd seen Akira, but they didn't have like Samuel L. Jackson playing the lead in an anime. Like that's says, the whole like, thing. five words during the entire thing is Afro. Yeah. But the big <laughs> part of the man. reason that started is because someone put a figurine of Afro in Samuel L. Jackson's hand. Really? So the idea that a piece of merchandise drove something that is essentially to me just a merchandise or visual, like uh, it's just, the money comes just from. pushing, just pushing his, he's pushing his art style and he's pushing his product, but there's no story to it. That's mm. where it falls down. I mean, Akira Kurosawa as well, like some of those films, like Yojimbo is such a dope film. Yeah, but this is the like, thing, right? There's the, the tradition of, uh, of samurai or ninja, in with within that the the culture of Japan is always very story driven. Yes, there's there's these huge epics, and the craziest part of it is they're from like the most of part about real people. Mm, often based on yeah. like these these great mythical heroes that weren't myths; they were real. Yeah, well, Musashi, for example, yeah. like you read his story, it's like this is nonsense. Well, I mean, who knows? Obviously, I'm sure history has distorted and, and elevated a lot of his feats, but the guy was un- undefeated and, you know, was also a calligrapher and an artist and a poet and crazy, like, force of nature, which for Vagabond we're going back on. But, yeah, so, and, you know, Zatoichi, I think there was a blind swordsman. I don't, yeah. Not actually Zatoichi, but, like, they're all based in some kind of, not, not breakdancing samurai necessarily. He could have breakdanced. <laughs> yeah. Hey, no. hey, 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 how do no. you know? I don't. I, don't. No, I can't be sure. There, I can't be sure. But, you know, Yasuki as well, obviously, which, you know, even though isn't the story of Yasuki isn't a part of Afro Samurai, but surely an influence. It was the kind of clearly. fascinating idea that he was such a large man, like a, he's sort of taller than pretty much everyone else that he met in Japan. Right. He came as a slave to a member of the, the the Jesuits that were trying to convert people in Japan and were quite actually very successful. They yeah, quite a converted bit. something like 150 samurais, including daimyos and wow. other such people, and they ended up, you know, becoming proper Christians, hmm. which is, you know, an odd thing to think about. But the the uh, shogun at the time met Yasuki and, and was amazed by him, gave him the name that he had because there's no record of his name before that. Makes sense. And and then he became this fixture within that the, the community and, and and within essentially that that court, right? And so you know, as he was a samurai, technically, as he was a retainer of a lord, he wasn't traditionally like running around and fighting battles and and doing all that kind of crazy stuff. It's like a lot of the times where you you hear about non-Japanese samurai, they were just kind of around and they were on the payroll and they'd been given swords, but they weren't running around, you know, lopping off heads and getting into huge battles. Where mm. does the mecha come in? <laughs> that's, that's what I want to know. That's what I want to know. Around the same time as the breakdancing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, they go hand in hand. Well, now I've talked a bit about samurai and a couple of great samurai anime. Let's talk about what a ninja or shinobi is because this one has been very much mythologized even more so than the samurai. So ninja or shinobi were a covert agent or mercenary in feudal Japan. That's basically what it means. Pretty simple. But the functions of a ninja included espionage, deception, and surprise attacks. Their covert methods of waging irregular warfare were deemed dishonorable and beneath the honor of a samurai. Shinobi were specifically trained as spies and mercenaries, and they sort of appeared in the 15th century during the Sengoku period. And antecedents may have existed as early as the 12th century, but as far as when like modern or the first sign of what people consider to be ninja, it was the 15th century. 
So after the samurai. So in the unrest of the Sengoku period, mercenaries and spies for hire became active in the Iga province, particularly the village of Koga. It is from these areas that much of the knowledge surrounding the ninja is gleaned. So following the unification of Japan under the Tokugawa shogunate in the 17th century, the ninja appear to fade into obscurity. A number of shinobi manuals, often based on Chinese military philosophy, were written in the 17th and 18th centuries, most notably the Bansen Shukai, excuse my horrible pronunciation, in 1676. So by the time of the Meiji Restoration in 1868, shinobi had become a topic of popular imagination and mystery in Japan. Ninja figured prominently in legend and folklore, where they were associated with legendary and supernatural abilities, like invisibility, walking on water, and control over natural elements. As a consequence, their perception in popular culture is based more on such legends and folklore than the actual real covert actions of the Sengoku period that they really did. They were just spies. And yes, they were trained in covert Gorilla facts. Yeah, 100%. So, yeah. So despite many popular folktales, historical accounts of the ninja are actually quite scarce. Historian Stephen Turnbull asserts that the ninja were mostly recruited from the lower classes and therefore little literary interest was actually taken in them. So the social origin of the ninja is believed to be the reason they agree to operate in secret, trading their service for money without honor and glory like the samurai. Mm. So they employed ninjutsu, which was and is a martial arts strategy and tactics of unconventional warfare, sort of guerrilla warfare and espionage, as you said, guerrillas. While there is an international martial arts organization representing several styles of ninjutsu, the historical lineage of these styles are disputed. So ninjutsu is not a centralized entity like most modernized martial arts, such as judo, karate, or aikido. So Tokugura Ryu claims to be the oldest recorded form of ninjutsu and claims to have survived past the 16th century. So ninjutsu involved training in, in free running, disguise, escape, concealment, archery, and medicine, skills spreading to espionage, and obviously assassination were highly useful to warring factions in feudal Japan. So instead of sending the samurai as basically your frontline warriors, your highly trained sort of like marines, I guess, the ninja were the special ops. And a hidden secret, and again, as I said, because they were recruited from the lower classes, it was all in secret because they were, they were performing dishonorable acts. Which is funny because when you look at Musashi and you read the Book of Five Rings, like this guy's famous for doing dishonorable things. <laughs> it's so funny. It's like, all the samurai have such a code of honor and stuff. And definitely that exists. But like Musashi would do things like hide in a tree all night and challenge someone to meet him at a tree at six in the morning. And he was hidden up there from midnight. And when he bought all of his men there, he just jumped down from the tree, cut the guy's head off and ran. And it's like, I'm not sure how honorable that is. <laughs> but it's interesting, again, how it sort of gets slightly collected. But it's just victory was the key. I for, feel like now and like particularly our fictionalized version of ninjas, there's a lot of honor involved in it. Funnily enough. So I feel like there's, it's quite interesting how that's sort of been. It comes down to secrecy. Mm. Yes. When you look at the Iga uh, province, when Nobunaga was trying to conquer Japan, he hit the Iga province and they were all peasants that lived up in the hills mm. and they had their own special way of fighting, which was we're not trained fighters, so we're not going to fight you like you want to fight us. So they'd ambush them with old school arquebuses, which are like predate muskets and do all that kind of crazy guerrilla fighting, and that made them outside the square, that shinobi-type thing. Mm. Interesting. And that's where the dishonourable part of it comes because they didn't meet. So, like, samurais used to have small battles mm. and they'd meet on a field and there'd be a small amount of preparation and one side would fight the other side. Mm. Which is honourable. And then yeah. with Nobunaga, he kind of, one, found a bunch of muskets or arquebuses washed up from a Dutch trading ship that was really? going to... Portuguese or Dutch that was going to China that washed up on the shores and he got like 400 muskets, muskets oh. out of that. And then 
fought a uh, fought this battle in a forest and that started this whole thing because he's like, I'm setting up with my little trees and got my rifles and we're going to do this dodgy thing. He was quite famous for being ruthless. Right. Absolutely ruthless and just didn't care about the convention of, of proper warfare because it was about winning. Yes. Survival. I'm going to unite everyone. And then so when they get to the Iga province, again, we go to this next step of this guerrilla warfare fighting outside the, the, the conventional square. So they're all dishonourable. But that did develop into those kinds of shinobi-like traditions of secrecy and spies. They used to, if their villages were getting taken, they would kill their own children Jesus. to keep the secrets al- to keep the secrets secret. Fucking wow. hell. It, it, it's, it's kind of intense when you, when you dig deeper into it. Female shinobis too that were like trained assassins and that would use their, their, their wiles and their guile to, to divinate, the, to get all the information and secrets out. Quite famously, one of Nobunaga's biggest generals was murdered in his bed by his concubine who wow. was, was like, so, so yeah, yeah. 15, 57 or something like that. Wow. Where he was, and it's possible that it was a shinobi that did it. Interesting. So just. Spy vibes. Yeah. <laughs> Spy vibes, too, basically, yeah. yeah. But, of course, they've, and, again, there's always a ninja character in everything, even in the West, you know what I mean? Ninjas like, look cool, There's man. just so many. It's been popularised so much in both Western pop culture and Japanese pop culture. And, of course, heavily influenced so many animes. Naruto. Yeah, we can't, the we big can't one. not mention Naruto. I was about to be like, when did Genjutsu come into it? <laughs> I think I was like, the magical, the magical the powers. The eye power. The eye power. Yeah, but this, you know, um, this is the thing. Because they were so clandestine and, you know, they, they got this idea of, oh, they're magic. And, of course, so many things like the show that I'm about to talk about. And one of the most... Prominent movie. There are three big movies that came out in the 80s and 90s. Akira, Ghost in the Shell, and Ninja Scroll. So Ninja Scroll, a 1993 animated film written and directed by Yoshiaki Kawajiri, who also made Vampire D, Bloodlust, The Animatrix, and was a guest character designer on Legend of the Galactic Heroes. Oh, did you find a way to swap that? <laughs> I found a way to get it in there. Uh, During also, the ninja section? <laughs> it will always find its, it's place. It's always relevant. Like it's Sam's never not relevant. Editing Wikipedia articles <laughs> yeah, constantly, yeah. just adding Legend of the Galactic Heroes yeah. into everything to make it relevant. Yeah. <laughs> No, but this guy is a legend. Okay, Kawajiri is an absolute legend. So he's also, he did the storyboards for Chia Yafuru. He did Overlord and One Punch Man season one storyboards, Attack on Titan season three, Demon Slayer. He's like decadence, Jujutsu Kaisen. Like he's still working and killing Yeah, it. no, that's pretty lit. He was also one of the founders of Madhouse. So like, you know, this guy is absolutely, so Kawajiri started working at Mushi Productions, which was Osamu Tezuka, Astro Boy's company, the first kind of big animation studio for serialized shows. And that was until it closed in 1972. Then he joined Madhouse as one of the four co-founders and in the late 1970s was promoted to the animation director. So the film takes place in feudal Japan and follows Kibigami Jubei, a mercenary swordsman who battles the eight devils of Kimon, a team of ninjas with supernatural powers who are intent on overthrowing the Tokugawa shogunate. During his quest, he is aided by Dakuan, an elderly but crafty government spy, and Kagero, a Koga Kinoichi, a female ninja, whose body is actually infused with like poison toxins. She's a, again, after what you just said, it's very interesting now hearing all that. It's like, 
it's all, all of that stuff kind of happens in this movie. <laughs> so this is one of the most important and influential anime films of all time. Alongside Akira and Ghost in the Shell, it was responsible for increasing the popularity of adult-oriented anime outside of Japan. So the Wachowskis cite it as one of their primary influences on The Matrix. And of course, they then got Kawajiri to direct the Animatrix later. So it's a whole you know, full circle thing. So there's also a TV series, which was released in 2003, and that was directed by someone else. His name was Tatsuo Sato and also animated by Madhouse. Not very good, don't watch it. That story takes place in feudal Japan and again follows the adventures of Kimigami Jubei, who finds himself tasked with guarding the fabled relic known as the Dragon Stone and protecting its bearer, Shigure, the Light Maiden, from both the Hiroko and Kimon clans, who are both hellbent on retrieving the stone for themselves. So this is a massive hit in the West, wasn't actually that big in Japan, strangely, but like huge in the US in particular, in the early 90s. And the film was actually a tribute to the works of Japanese author Futuro Yamada, who throughout the 60s wrote many historical novels about ninja. Interesting because the film is dated, right? And there is some very, disclaimer, very problematic content. Yeah, like, it's huge it's content warning on this one. Huge content warning on this one. Like, and again, as I said, the adult nature of it is the perfect description because it was like the first time I think the West had really seen- It's R-rated, right? It's fucking full yeah. on. Man. Like, yeah, it's it's so violent. There are two scenes of uh, sexual assault, which are like one of is fucked- they're both fucked, but like one is totally unnecessary and one is fucked. Like it's like, ooh, and I know initially when they released it in the West, they cut those. Uh, they cut 53 seconds of the film because there's some very extreme violence and some scenes of sexual assault. I was watching it. I had to watch it last night again. It's the first time for 20 years. And I was like, oh man, this is so full on. But again, like I say, it was so important at the time because cartoons in the early nineties were for kids. You know what I mean? And so like, Japan had been seeing, they've been making adult cartoons for a long time, but I think the West were like, oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. You can do that in a cartoon. And like, it's so, even though there is some problematic content, which you know, probably doesn't get made today. It's a cool story. Again, it's, it's the story's kind of like, whatever, man. Yeah. These, these bad guys are trying to steal gold to overthrow the Tokugawa shogunate and this wandering Ronin finds himself amongst it. So he's a ninja sort of slash samurai, but they've all got magical powers. And it's basically an excuse for Jubei to fight eight different like supernaturally powered ninja. It's cool. It's fun. Fights are really cool. It's fucking graphic and it's full on, but it's like, it's pretty, the animation style is sick. It looks amazing. It Still today, it holds yeah. up. Like it looks and so cool. You're right. It was one of the, the massive like cartoons or animation can be for adults. Ones. Yes. And I remember when I first was getting into anime, it was like the one, it was like, can yeah. you handle what, it was one of those like, yeah, 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 yeah. you handle the intensity of this, and um, Ninja Scroll, like, uh, like interviews. It's edgy as Wasn't fun. allowed to hire it out because it was R18+. Plus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, then I did hire it out. Because <laughs> I'm a bloody rebel. Sorry, Blockbuster. <laughs> I guess I was just mature for my age. <laughs> no, they knew I was 15. They knew. But whatever. Um, I think that, yeah, it's definitely content warning through the, fu- like, it's hectic. It's so hectic. Even, like, watching Probably it again, I'm like, stupidly, oh, so stupidly so. Like, it's, oh, it's, it's, it's It is gratuitous. Like, definitely. I mean, I think it's deliberately made to be so totally but like it is gratuitous and like, even i found myself being like oh fuck also you know, like, a few times like, like the reality of being a shinobi would have been pretty freaking brutal pretty full like, on, i know yeah. that some of those like particularly the sexual assault scenes that were cut were probably unnecessary in a way that was like too much i do yeah. think showing the like actual because i mean we, we are, are like you know our main kind of anime about Ninja is Naruto, mm-hmm. which is not quite as edgy. Not quite. <laughs> I mean, quite I cried edgy, no. several times. Obviously. But, like, I think that, you know, often those things will gloss over or romanticize something that was pretty brutal, like his war. You know, yeah. like it's a- Well, Naruto's like 12 and he's, like, fighting wars. 
Yeah. In that show. You know? But like, you know. <laughs> they're but soldiers the, in Naruto. That's yeah, what they are. They are like, go, I remember thinking like, if you could get, I always ask the question, like if you could be transported to any, any anime yeah. like world, what would it be? And the last answer on the list would definitely be the Naruto world. Because you're always at war. Unless you're Naruto, you're just some random ninja getting assassinated, like some didn't pass the tuning exam, died in the forest. Like, <laughs> that'd be me. And I'm kind of like, this sucks. Like, unless you're literally born with a fox spirit inside you. Yes. Well, not born, like sealed. The chosen one. Yeah. yeah, like, you're pretty fucked. Like, no one has a good time. No. I, I probably would, would aim to be like Iruka sensei. No, you want to be the guy who runs the ramen store, man. That oh, dude's yes. got a well, sorted. Yeah, uh, you're right, actually. Just Protected ramen by Naruto forever. Forever, because he was the only person who showed like him <laughs> just the one time working like retail slash hospital is like the best gig in that universe. <laughs> like, well, you know, yeah, totally. God forbid you're, you're guarding a temple and then some dude with a fox spirit turns up and kicks the living shit out of you. <laughs> yeah. like, Come on, man. Like, I, I was just learning how to do throws and this dude <laughs> had a fox spirit. <laughs> yeah, that's, a very good, that's a very good way of describing the, the journey of that show because yeah. it starts off like, Cool ninjas like fighting with each other, doing this cool like stuff, and it's like mecha. Yeah, <laughs> at the end, it's like sudden, basically a fucking mecha this show. This dude goes next level. It's like being Yamcha. That's like, that's <laughs> yeah, like amazing. Exactly. I can fight real good. Yes, but I can summon the spirit of the world to kill you. <laughs> like, Give me your power to kill Yamcha. <laughs> I've just like I've only just nailed the clone jutsu. That's it. But then I get to kill. <laughs> that's a pretty good I thing did to it. nail. Did though, one shadow, shadow clone, clone and then it got killed. Like another example, like you know, that first episode, it's like, oh, he can do the shadow clone. It's like the rare like forbidden technique it's just like heaps of people do it <laughs> later it's like wait a minute yeah there's one book where kakashi does like 50 of those so, yeah. someone cited that as a massive yeah. plot hole they, yeah, were like, like, what? they were like is he the most powerful because it's meant to be like insane you can't hard. do it yeah that's like, the thing is, yeah, yeah i don't know everyone's doing it anyway that's it <laughs> come on plot <laughs> hole <laughs> we've been sidetracked in the fantasy ninja series <laughs> yeah we'll get gods. too bogged down in that wait it's fantasy <laughs> what <laughs> but yeah so interesting you're talking about again like the the, the female ninja Kagura is, despite the fact that she gets sexually assaulted twice, is a great character in respect that she's in a man's world very much, but holding her own, like she's a badass. Like she is like, her job is to be a poison tester for the Lord. And as a result, like she's immune to poison because her body's just filled with poisons. So like if someone does try to sexually assault her, they will die because she's poisoned the shit out of them. And right. she's like always like poisoning people and shit. And she's like, she's pretty much the only competent ninja in her group before she meets Jubei. And like, it's, so it's almost, almost good on a feminist side. But then I it's just don't like, know if you can sell then that. then it's not because it's just like, why? Why is this happening? You know, it's like, it's uh, fucked. I do wonder but, with the poison immunity thing, that mm-hmm. is such a trope in anime. I'm yeah. trying to think, and also like interesting, I'm thinking of Hunter Hunter now and I'm thinking of the Zoldic yep, assassins. Yep. And I'm like, that's their whole thing. Ninjas. And they're ninjas too. And ninjas. So I'm like now just yep. going like, okay, that, well, they're not technically, there is actually a ninja character in that show. They're not, but they're that's obviously true. like- Heavily inspired so by that. Inspired is that a thing it. that people used to do to get immune to, can you be immune to poison or is this well, a you, fantasy well, anime you can, you can become immune to venom. Like as an example, when I was a child learning to swim in Coleroy, I spent six months getting stung by blue bottles. Then 10 years later, I stepped on a blue bottle in the surf. Didn't notice it. So you're a ninja as well. <laughs> you are the, you are the poison actually, specialist. We have a ninja, on, uh, an Australian ninja on this. Wow. <laughs> the poison specialist is now Louis. Well, <laughs> very specifically only for blue bottles. If you need to find a blue bottle. <laughs> we'll send you in. Send you in. And I <laughs> Go. It hasn't been tested in 15 years, but, you yeah, know. Don't do that. Uh, yeah, don't get some blue bottle. you know, I walked out of the surf with a blue bottle wrapped around my leg and then my sister's like, that, that, that's a thing. And I was like, Look at that. And the only thing I could think of is the fact that as a child, I got stung 
so often that it made me scared of the water. Yeah. And you, you can build up immunities to stuff. So I, I get it. It makes sense. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure it's highly. I'm sure uh, it's highly fictionalized. The same time. Everyone's yes. just like, we've drunk every poison under the sun. It's and like, now we're you like, did. I'm like, I came out of right? Yeah, but it's. Is this a vaccination thing? Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm here for that. She's vaccinated from poison. That's what from it was. All, yeah. poison. all poison. This is why I go out of my way to lick every doorknob I can find. <laughs> oh, I am so I'm more powerful than you could possibly walk around with. Chicken pox parties, yeah. poison <laughs> parties. I walk around with a mouthful of coins. It's just. Oh, that works. <laughs> I yeah. generally am going to look that up, though, because I'm interested to see where that trope comes from. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's obviously. It's thing, but obviously, like, the ninja were well voiced in. Well, Versed in poisoning, as of you course, said, like, if covert. that's a, a covert option to kill someone, you wouldn't be able to get so, close so to. So many normally, powerful daimyos and shogun became so paranoid that mm. they were going to be poisoned, yeah, or that they were going to be assassinated by someone like that. It yeah. was non-stop. Like Nobunaga became so paranoid at like uh, Takagawa Ieyasu, who, who was the big shogun that unified Japan. He was paranoid all the time. All these guys were because. They were always surrounded by hundreds of soldiers. There's always someone coming. You can't coming. just kill them straight out. So what are you going to just be like paranoid all the time? They're going to poison my food. They're going to poison my drink. They're just going to get me. I mean, it's like the Cold War era Russia. People oh, did Stalin get poisoned. Was, and Stalin was paranoid about being assassinated. Well, when you look at it too, when you think I mean, about it traditionally, like when you look at serial killers and stuff like that, poisoning is a typically female gender, right? That's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tool of women throughout history. Like all the famous poisoners, for the most part, with the exception of like the Tylenol poisoner and stuff like that, have been women because, you know, they're smart. <laughs> smart way to kill someone. High yeah. risk, sorry, low risk, high reward. Totally. For an assassination. Yeah. And you can get close. No one expects you. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating. No one ever suspects a butterfly. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean, that's Ninja Scroll. And like I said, huge content warning. But, like, mm. I still, like, apart from some wincing moments from it, was, and, like, also the storylines. It's just an excuse for fights, really. Like, you know what it actually reminds me of massively? Metal Gear Solid in respect to like pretty tenuous story about something that doesn't really make sense when you analyze it. But just a character, a badass character going through a journey, upping the levels of cool bad guys with interesting powers that he fights. You know, so it's like one of them is a wasp man. He's got like a hive of wasps on his back, which he can fire at people. One is the gunpowder woman who can shoot like gunpowder and explosions. One is just a classic swordsman samurai. The other is a snake woman who has snake tattoos that come alive off her body and attack you. And like, cool. so like one's the shadow man who hides in shadow. You know what I mean? It's like, so it's just cool ass like fights, which Jubei gets to go through and do. But like, that's really what the whole story is. But there's a revenge story. And Gemma, the bad guy is like got a history with Jubei and they, you know, that they're fated to fight kind of thing. But like, Outside of that, it's like, yeah, he's trying to steal gold to become the Shogun. It's like, okay, that is sure, totally whatever. Metal Gear Solid. Yeah, dude, it really is Metal Gear Solid. Like, well, I was like, Metal, no, Gear. I was like Metal Gear. The was... first Metal Gear was 1987. Right, but that was on the Nintendo. The right? NES. Actually, so, was on something else, but then they remade it on the NES. The, yes. the proper Metal Gear that came out on PlayStation 1. And so 97. And yes. what year did Ninja Scrolls come 93. out? 93. Right, so. Heavily important. There's, there's would... got to be there that because it is definitely that, oh, there is a person and they have this power and they can do these things. Dude, 100%. Like, mm. it basically is kind of a, like, Ninja Samurai Metal Gear Solid. Yeah, and then, you know, you games like Tenchu as well. That were Tenchu like, was so sick. Oh, bomb. Do you remember Tenchu? Was yeah, sick? It's, it's stuck into my what? head. Like you? <laughs> oh, come on. Is anyone, magical? is anyone magical in that? Or are they, no, is they're, it, just, they're just like badass. They're just, like, they're just the promotion movie. Yeah, yeah. Sick, sick. Have they made a remake of that? I don't know. They should. No, they shouldn't. No, Tenchu. No, they shouldn't. They should just leave it. They should just leave it. It's pretty sick. 
they can <laughs> they can come up with other stealth games. Yeah, true. If, if anything is proof of like Metal Gear should have stayed where it was. But Metal Gear and they is brought it into essentially the a ninja story. It's about sneaking. Yeah. It's about espionage. It's about clandestine activity. Like you, you fail if you try and fight everyone. You yeah. can with a shotgun. I've done it, but like it's not the way to play I did the it. game. Well, I was like, I'm so sick. I got sick of being discovered in like Metal Gear Solid uh, Snake Eater, and I was like, that's it. Shotgun's coming out. Like, can- <laughs> yeah. so I would like, say you'd be the least covert person I'm not ever. That like great you would at not Metal be Metal Gear Solid because I get frustrated and then start going on rampage. Yeah, you're not. Subtlety's not your. But yeah, so basically, samurai, ninja. These are. Everywhere. Their influence is everywhere. Again, like I said, Metal Gear Solid, definitely basically a ninja game. There was that, there have been so many stories in the West, that terrible uh, movie series in the 90s, which I actually watched and loved as a kid called Three Ninjas, The Three Brothers. Did you just call The Three Ninjas terrible? <laughs> well, I haven't watched it since I was like Excuse seven, me. so maybe Next it is dope. You're going to start on Surf Ninjas? I don't know. <laughs> With Rob Schneider? Man, when Excuse I was like, <laughs> there have been some. Interesting interpretations <laughs> of ninja, <laughs> ninja over the over the time. <laughs> like the Ninja Turtles television series. Are you Ninja Turtles, that there you go. of no. course. Ninja Turtles, massively. Master exactly. Splinter, like it's everywhere. Well, the movies where they've got Tony Shalhoub voicing <laughs> Master Splinter. <laughs> Does Tony Shalhoub yeah, voice Master Splinter? Yeah, Monk is Master Splinter in the in the in the live action movies. Wow. Oh, wow. the, those 90s films? No, no, no. In the, the current one. ones. It's Tony oh, Shalhoub. Oh, the current one. Yeah. Okay. But the old again, ones were know, dope when they were like in the costumes. Those were like, awesome. Was the old school. Yeah. Go Ninja, go Ninja, no, go. No, no, we don't talk about that one. <laughs> we don't that's talk a good about song, that man. We talk about the first one. Uh, that The first one was phenomenal. Yeah, but that's, yeah, look, it's. Mate, costumes? Better than CG. Better than CGI. So much. So cool. Yoda. Way better as a little puppet than he is as a CGI man. With the, with the rose-coloured glasses of, of time and, and distance. and you think, but, but if you go back and watch that first Ninja Turtles, it still looks phenomenal. Yeah, it's all sick. And like, it's dark and it's gritty and it's fantastic. And then yeah. they were like, ah, kids like turtles, let's just, oh, we're going to have a giant snapping turtle and an angry little wolf, but we're going to make them like babies because they can't kill anyone. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> we can't make these super powerful creatures that would genuinely just eat you. Yeah, no, mutant no, ninja they turtles. Mm. <laughs> they like pizza. Yeah. I'm sick pizza. of this Donuts. censorship <laughs> of the teenage ninja turtles. I won't stand it for it anymore. Started off as give me a gritty reboot. Super no, duper violent comic. pretty cool, book. actually. It's, it's mega violent. The really? Com- the original comic material. Really? Mega violent. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, anyway, so anyway, as I say, huge influence all the way through. It's everywhere. But again, like we say, like there's so much influence. But again, even with the ninja thing, there aren't that many shows that are like purely historically ninja based. Again, because it's a slightly nebulous thing because most of it was done in secret. Like I say, there aren't many historical accounts of the ninja, so to speak. So a lot of it's kind of just made up. And that's why it lends itself so much to the supernatural because that's what they were kind of mythologized to be. Yeah. So it just makes perfect sense. But again, like outside of Ninja Scroll, not that many shows. I mean, lots of ninja bits. Like Basilisk as well is another one where they, which is based off Ninja Scroll as well. It's a TV series, two warring ninja tribes going at each other. And it's kind of just like cool fights with different power. Again, same sort of thing as the movie. I feel like no one's going to touch ninjas again because of Naruto as well. Like well, it's Naruto's kind of got a, a one, right? stronghold for anime in particular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What about got Naruto? Well, I mean, direct relative. Direct relative, yeah, literally, literally a sequel, his son. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, and I think that because that was such, that probably one of the biggest. Oh, massively. The biggest animes to hit, hit yeah. over in the West. Like and then, and you know, and Gintama, so massive in Japan for the samurai thing. Like it's, it's still everywhere and the influence is always around. But those are our suggestions. If you want to check out some samurai shows, there you go. If you want to check out a ninja, a classic film, again, big content warning. Check out Ninja Scroll. It still holds up, but yes, has some 
It's, it's, it's fucked. So I hope you learned a little bit about samurai and ninja and the difference between the two and what is fact versus fiction. You can go study this. It's, it's really quite fascinating because we, we deliberately sort of skimmed over the top. I'm not going to sit here and do a history lesson. I don't have a degree in Japanese cultural studies. So that's just a little bit of information for you to check out. And if you want to learn more about it, Get into it. It's fucking fascinating. Such an amazing history and culture. And these shows, while obviously being highly fictionalized, give you a little bit of information about what that history is all about. So, Lewis, thank you so much. Thank you for having us, man. Great. So good to have your thank knowledge you on so this. Much. And like, Happy to be. We're always good fun. We've got some patrons we'd like to thank as well. We do indeed. We would like to thank Christian. We'd like to thank Stuart. We'd like to thank Curtis. We'd like to thank Caroline. And we would like to thank Alex and Samantha. Thank you guys so much. For your patronage, it means so much to us and it helps us more than you can imagine. If you want to join the patron, you can go to www.patreon.com forward slash gateway to anime. Helps us so much. And thanks for listening, everyone. We'll catch you all next time. Thank you. Bye. Goodbye.